0: His current CEO says Steve Cakebread has a gold-plated personality and is the master of taking technology companies public. Steve has not taken one company public, not two, but three, which are Salesforce, Pandora, and Yext. Steve Cakebread's new book is his first one, The IPO Playbook, and I highly recommend this five-star book. And that conversation is coming up next on CFO Bookshelf. Steve, first of all, congratulations on the new book. I give it five stars out of five, and I'm not just saying that. I got – by the way, can we give a, a shout-out to your publicist, Andrea? Uh, I appreciate the uh, the advance copy, and I finished it Thursday. Excellent book.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, Andrea has done a great job, and as well as the rest of the team at Silicon Valley Press. This is my first book, as you know, and hopefully there will be a few more. But you're always learning every time you get into something you've never done before. So – very
0: exciting. The first, in my opinion, the first six chapters could have easily been what I call adopting an IPO mindset. So another reason I love this book is, A, it's written to the first person. B, very readable, not like a textbook, reads fast. But number three, any company any business owner, any CEO, CFO could get value out of this. You don't need to be going public. Do you you agree, Steve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As you know, I've talked about in the book and we chatted beforehand running a business is hard. It takes a lot of steps. The venture capital um, VC world had always said, gee, you know, going public is hard, but a lot of what going public is is just reaffirming what you've already done in your business because valuations whether you're private or public, come from the hard work you put in of setting up your business and running it. And so that's where I saw really no difference. Yeah, there's a little bit of work, but the governance, the attention to detail, the funding, the systems, all of that, you have to have that to run a business or you don't have a business over the long term.
0: The book just came out last week, or at least as of this interview. How's the reception been so far, Steve?
1: It's been great. You know, everybody's kind of said, wow, this is... uh, Something There's a bit of something for everybody, like you said, some private, some public, some aspiring entrepreneurs, investors, so they understand what they should look for in the inner workings of a company to make sure it's ready to go public. And then, as you know, part of my theme here is that getting public, getting companies public sooner is better for the rest of us because we can invest in the $10 to $12 stocks, not the $100, $200 stocks, and get individuals back in the market.
0: And I hope you're hanging in there because I bet you've been through umpteen interviews uh, and you're going to have more going forward. So again, I hope you're hanging in there.
1: Hey, Mark, you know what? It's been great. I've met some of the most exciting and interesting people like yourself and others that are doing podcasts that are trying to bring information to business people throughout the world. Um, and so for me, it's been exciting. You know, my I grew up in a family that was pretty much entrepreneurs I, didn't, I don't think I wrote in the book, but we were in the sardine and um, fishing business for a while. That was my parents' gig. I don't actually like sardines. But you learn from every business that you step into and you take that learning, what worked, what didn't work, and move it to the next business you're in. So I've been very fortunate. My family, you know, not the wide public offerings and Airbnbs and stuff, but heads down, run a great business, have great employees because we always... Knew it was about the employees. It's not just about us. And the wine business had, and I think all of your listeners in business do something you enjoy. And in our case, we also said since we're making something, in this case wine, we better make it so we enjoy drinking it. So all the wines you get from cake bread sellers are wines our family drinks. Because if nobody was to buy it, we'd at least have a big stash of wine to take the family forward. So do something you're passionate about and enjoy what you do is the kind of key word here.
0: Let's jump into the book. And there are so many topics, so many, so many uh, paths we could take, but let's just start with some of my favorite chapters of the systems. Steve, I want to give you a little bit of a hard time. Uh, Go, go, go back to Salesforce. And I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, that's not fair. He walks into a system or an organization where You guys are already running Oracle Financials. Uh, Of course, course you had Salesforce, CRM, and you had some other great systems. But you point out that it's better to get those systems in place now rather than later. And I know a lot of CEOs, they don't want to do that because of the costs. What's your response to them?
1: Yeah, um, I'll go back to the Oracle story in a minute because there's something interesting there. But the fact of the matter is, Um, It is cheaper to put in systems, particularly now as everything's moved to the cloud. It's almost a no-brainer. And secondly, I maintain, and the reason why I'm such an advocate of that, is you need two things out of those systems. One is to automate your processes so you don't have to hire a lot of people. And not that people aren't good, but the more people you have, the more more you have to pay attention to what they do. If you automate it, you pretty much know what the processes are going to be. But as importantly, if not more importantly, business is better run on on facts and information. So you can see consumer trends. You can see when people come into your shop to buy. All of that information simply helps you run a better system or a better business. And the systems now, particularly being in the cloud, allow you to do that. Um, So that's why I'm a big advocate of the systems. We use a lot of technology At the winery. And obviously we used a lot of technology at Salesforce, although we had a beta version of Oracle. So it was a little bit cheaper because all the founders came from Oracle. So somehow they were Oracle centric, but it was the same principle. We needed processes and information. And because they were familiar with it, that was a logical choice.
0: And you you said something that a lot of people may think, but they never say it out loud, but you said been, and I, I'm, I'm tweaking your words, you've been your way toward the processes of the system instead of trying to make the system work for you. I mean, so you may have to give in a little bit with these bigger systems that you bring in, right?
1: Absolutely. But you have to think about these guys like Workday and all these companies that develop systems, they're selling to a lot of different companies. So they see, if you will, the best in class processes. And I always find it interesting when I start into a new company, it's like, well, this is how we do it. And go, well, but I want to put in a system that's it'll achieve the same end result, but the steps are different. And we have these debates, and then all of a sudden it's like it costs you more to change it to the way you're doing it. And in fact, you don't get the data. And so yeah, I think if you look at and you're buying best in class systems, why not use their expertise to help you run fundamental business systems rather than you try and make it up as you're going?
0: Another chapter I loved, governance. And I can see I could be wrong. I could see maybe some CEOs, well, I'm going to just speed read through this. And I hope the answer is no. You have a quote. And I want to read it if it's okay. Sure. The very first board action should be to establish the moral and operating standards. I gave you a big thumbs up, fist pump, when you said that the moral and operating standards. Can you maybe elaborate on that just a little bit, Steve?
1: Sure. I I think as businesses grow and, you know, you're always looking ahead. You didn't start a business. I might, when I retire, start a business where it's just me, but you're trying to grow your business and, you know, support the community, employ people. But you do have to draw lines here that says, folks, when you come in, here's how we do it. Here's how we want things done. Here's the level and value that we have that we want you to maintain. And in fact, I was talking to um, a gentleman that's in a restaurant chain and he says the hardest thing they have isn't running the restaurant. It's getting the staff they hire to give the customer exactly the experience that they want to give. Not a little tweak here, not a little tweak there. I'll refer back to, I think in the book, I also talk about when Mark Benioff and I were talking he made it very clear, I have a vision. I need you to implement that vision, not modify that vision for me. And I really took that to heart because you know, if you're a business owner of any, of any business, you have a vision about what you're trying to do and you don't need to hire people that come in and modify that vision. Listen, Mark was more than willing to listen to my suggestions and some did get incorporated, but his longer term vision clearly paid off, is paying off, will pay off there was no reason for me to come argue with him about the vision. And I think whether you're a small business and you hire that number two person to take the off hours, they have to understand your vision and your values and your operations so that they can repeat that process for your customer experience. Really critical.
0: I thought your comments about benchmarking were absolutely brilliant. And and if you recall, you don't just benchmark your company to another, where they are right now. You went back to the beginning of a company when they went IPO. That's how you did your benchmarking. I'm going to shut up. Great idea, Steve. Excellent.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. It was, it was an idea built out of frustration because a couple of things you learn in the public markets is there's a lot of new up and coming young people that have never looked back. They're always looking forward. And as I said in the book, you know, our growth rates and our and our uh, profitability were greater than Microsoft, Oracle, SAP at the same stage we were at. And I think you, when you benchmark companies, you have to look at not where they are today. Like we do look at Salesforce today because there's things that they're doing that we need to put in place at Yext when we get to that size. And my question when I ever went back to Salesforce is what would you have changed? The scary thing is, They don't they haven't really changed all that much, even when we started. So we did the right job of laying the foundation and the operational structure for the long haul, because that's where you're looking out. And um, so there's a little bit of you need to be you need to be quick on your feet, particularly in these days with macroeconomics. But you need to stay true to the course because this is not going to last forever. And when it comes out, I believe business will come roaring back. We all have to be ready for it.
0: Can we move forward to IPO day? So go back to Salesforce. You've been through this three times. Yep. Go back to Salesforce. You're up on that big, big podium. And I, I'm assuming it's the CEO that's ringing the bell. You're yeah, probably standing know, next. So. Yep. Can you try your best to relive that moment? What's What's going on? Goosebumps? Uh, yep. Are you thinking back the past 20, 25 years? What's it like?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. First off, I'll say um, when you get to the New York Stock Exchange, just the whole process of getting you in and knowing that you're really where the foundation of capitalism for the United States started, and the across the street is Trinity Church where Hamilton is, and I mean it's really crazy historical. So you feel a lot of that. You get taken up to the boardroom, which they've redone three times in my career over there. But the history in that boardroom where literally the first trading was there because it was so small, just is crazy, crazy. So that's what I felt a lot when I got there. When you go down to the exchange floor, there's just energy. I mean, you you see pictures behind you and CNBC and all that stuff. There's just a ton of energy. Even today when it's all electronic traded, there's a ton of people down there. And um, you get to walk up to the podium First thing is, and everybody, make sure you could see your face in the camera because otherwise when they take the picture, you're not going to be there. Um, So you're a little bit of jostling and jockeying amongst all your colleagues. But to get up there, look out over the trading floor, it's like, wow, this is crazy. The key thing to remember, though, is it's the closing of one door. But the next day when you step off that, you've just got a new company and you've got to get going on the next decade to two decades to grow the business. But As I said, and I'll always say this, at the end of that day, go home and celebrate because it is a very, very special day. But then knowing you wake up the next morning, you got to get it in gear because the game just got bigger and you're playing in the big leagues. But it's it's just a huge amount of fun. And maybe that's why one of the reasons I enjoy taking companies public is there's nothing better than standing on that podium, I'll tell you.
0: Mrs. C made a cameo appearance in the book, The Brown Buick. Yeah. I loved it. I was smiling. Tell me about the Brown Buick.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> what, what is it? Jill and I just enjoy that commentary every time we've gone down to the stock exchange. But, you know, it's it's a big day. You're the most important team people going to the stock exchange. You get out of your hotel. We were all, we were all parked in a hotel in New York. All the black SUVs are lined up. So, you know, it's kind of like the president of the United States there, but we didn't have the police escorts, obviously. And, um, Jill just decided to do something different. She just said, Hey, I know what's going to happen here. I just wanted to treat you special. And so she called a different livery service and it was supposed to be a special car. Well, it was in one regard. And she was just like devastated. You can't have your wife devastated on the most exciting day of your life. So we made it a joke and we've lived that all the time and our always, even when we're in New York just for fun. And I'm going down to the exchange with her to meet with the current Stacey Cunningham, the CEO there, some of the traders on the floor. It's like, where's that Brown Buick? We should we only go to the exchange in the Brown Buick. So it was, it was a great experience. Every it was fun, you know, it's kind of took the edge off because as we pulled out and got to the exchange, everybody's giving us a bad time. All I know is I think they wish they were in that Brown Buick instead of their standard all black SUV, because it it marked a remembrance that she and I will never forget.
0: I was smiling. Maybe you weren't, but I was smiling. There are some board members who got interviewed on the floor. And so they're kind of mingling and, oh, here's a reporter, here's a reporter. And I can just see, see Steve walking around trying to corral these people up. So what's your message? I'm sorry if I'm laughing. What's your message yeah, to board members who, uh, who go to the uh, opening bell ceremony? What do they need to hear when, when they go?
1: Yeah, note to self, there's only one or two people that should be authorized allowed ever to talk on on air. Um, And we didn't do that at that time. So I did a little bit of learning. Obviously, Pandora was a new technology, streaming technology. Uh, The business model over time was gonna be proving out, but economically challenged in the near term. And all of these guys just got enamored with being on TV. Problem is, and I had a, a media trainer that was from CNN Business after this. He says, I've never seen 17 minutes and 27 seconds on air, uninterrupted, the same question, no advertising. Because as you know, TV does not stop. You know, they, they stop for ads. We never did. But I think it was because it was new and unique. I think it was because we had, we like to put a lot of people on the exchange floor. So don't get me wrong, but you have to make sure you authorize one or two people Because they have to be grilled. This is not where you just make it up as you go. But again, it was an interesting experience. You learn every time you do something. And uh, I took that away as well. And we'll never have board directors could be on the floor, but they've got to keep their mouth shut.
0: After the IPO, and you've already hit on this a little bit. What was your first earnings call like? Were you nervous? Were you a little uptight? What was it like?
1: Yeah, you you have to be because there's, unfortunately, in the process, um, you can't provide when you're doing your roadshows to talk about the future. So your first earnings call is really when you sit down and start to talk about where you expect revenue to be and guidance and all that. And so it's really a critical point. And uh, I disagree with that process. It seems like if I'm selling stock, I should tell you where I think I'm going to be, at least for the year. Um, in that process so you can make a more informed judgment. But yeah, it's very thoughtful. It's very stressful. I actually have been fortunate to work with a team of both inside professionals that we've hired, but outside professionals as well. So you don't drink the Kool-Aid and you don't get into saying stuff that a third party or independent person isn't going to understand. And you, You're talking internal lingo when in fact you're trying to communicate to the rest of the world. So you know, developing a process where you're working with professionals that have done this before, particularly the first time at Salesforce, um, makes it a lot easier. And uh, we do that now. I've, ne- I've used a couple different people for the last 20 years on every earnings call we do. So it's a good check and balance.
0: Just listening to you and then reading the book, I can tell you're very much of a, a reflective thinker, you deep thinker as well. As a CFO now at not one, but three different public companies, what tends to be your focus going forward?
1: Yeah, great question. Obviously, the systems which we talked about uh, makes makes life easier for Sarbanes-Oxley challenges. Um, the, the other one is to keep working with the founder, CEO on the vision because it needs to be refreshed. God knows with all the macroeconomic things that have gone through twice that I've been through 2007 and now this, you have to be thinking forward. So Again, I'm there to support and make sure the vision happens, but you do have to challenge the, the fringes of the vision sometimes to do that. For me, the, the other one that's really, really critical is just hiring great people. You need to know where your weaknesses are, and you need to hire into that weakness. Two things happen. One is it makes you and the team better, but more importantly, it starts to offer the person you hired a career because they can come in and demonstrate, if you will, quick time to value and yet still learn. And I, you know, the, the two things I'm really proud of in all my IPO stuff really is the teams that I've hired at each of the three companies. When I left, they're still there. At Salesforce, there's people that joined me when we just went public that are still running a $20 billion company today. That's a hell of a career. The same thing with Pandora. Yeah, albeit it got acquired by SiriusXM and people went off to other careers with that, but with a great background. And next, I hope to do the same thing. There's a team that's building here after five years. They will long outlast me here. And it'll be good for them. It'll be better for the company. And I can sit back and reflection and say, yeah, to me, that's the really key measure is how did you help people? And did they help the company grow? And I think the answer is yes in all three cases.
0: One last question about after the IPO. This actually came up earlier in the book you express a little bit of frustrations again, in a very nice professional way with the investors. Um, You had to educate them. You had to get them up to speed. No, you need to be looking at this metric versus this one, or what this is what this really means. I sense there's an unwritten or there's a, there's something that you, an unspoken message is what I'm trying to say that you need to be finesse. There needs to be some finesse and good communication skills as you Continually educate these investors after the IPO. Is that right?
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, look, you have to, the stories are all different. They have 4,000 different companies. One is they can invest in 3,999 other companies and not yours. Um, So there's a little bit of selling in there. More importantly, though, the companies that I've joined and took public really were changing games. I remember Salesforce, obviously, when we started, it wasn't cloud computing, it was utility computing. Think about that. That's how it manifested itself. And I remember being in New York at the Lambs Club with my wife, table for two, right next to us, a table for six with a bunch of investors. Seven years after we'd gone public, they still didn't believe cloud computing was real and Salesforce would never be successful. Thank God they're not my money managers because they the, I got there successful either. But it is explaining what you're trying to do to change things. Everybody is so comfortable with what the way they are. But, you know, businesses change how they deliver services, how we deliver. In our case at Yex, we're delivering a new search experience because I think we've all seen you go ask a question to Google and you get ads. I don't want ads. I want an answer. And by the way, if you're a company and somebody says, search me for Yex, the first thing that comes up is an ad. That's crazy. I'm paying for that so you could find me. So we're changing that game there, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of education. And as I tell both my colleagues at Pandora and at Yaks, it did take 15 years for people to accept cloud computing at Salesforce. It's not easy when you want to change the game, but the games have been changed for sure.
0: And it's fun. So you've mentioned Yaks a couple of times. How, how's, that, how's that role going so far?
1: yeah no it's great we're building a great team we're putting in our systems in fact we're at a point where because systems can take two or three years as you get right. bigger we're looking forward and going through those to automate more and um, give everybody more efficiencies and more effectiveness and quite frankly as I said it's more data the the era of big data and big data analytics is upon us and the more data you can have the better and informed decisions you're going to make and so We're going down those paths right now. The team is great. I mean, we keep, uh, you know, it's been difficult because, you know, one day you show up for work and the next day, oh, you can't go to work. Fortunately, we were in a transition as we were growing offices. So we were getting, if you will, more video conference friendly. And that just became a natural. So um, uh, it's been a great experience. It's, It's changing the industry. There's days where it's not fun, but there's days where some of our customers go, oh, my God, I wish I had this a couple of years ago. So that's that's the satisfying part of this.
0: When, I, when I, I get to talk to a lot of different CFOs around the country, I see there are two types. And this is oversimplistic. There's a front stage CFO. You are obviously a front stage CFO, but you're also a backstage CFO. You use the term of the book, the business manager, and you are not putting, you're not criticizing. But for the CFOs who want to follow in your footsteps, advice. Yeah. Great question.
1: I mean, I I never envisioned, I didn't wake up saying I was going to be a CFO. I did know that into my career at HP, my strength was operational excellence, improving productivity, all of those that were critical to running the business. We were doing the same thing at the winery at the same time, Um, but you have to learn. And so I think you can be one or the other, but you're going to have to learn the other skill. I'm clearly not an outbound person. I give credit to Carol Bartz at Autodesk. She said, "Steve, you sound so boring on earnings calls. So I'm going to die." So she got me the greatest speech coach who worked with Bill Knight and John Chambers and others, and really helped me understand how to come across. And um, so if you're if you're that comfortable with that kind of speaking, then you better get into the details of operations because at the end of the day, it's knowing those processes that help you become a more effective business person for the company, not just an outbound talking head. And if you're an operational person, do take the time to search out you know, speaking professionals, on-air personalities that will help you become more um, comfortable. Um, today, particularly today, if you're doing TV, it's just crazy. There's so much stuff going on. You know, you're, I, you know, as, as Andrea well knows, you can sit there and have something scheduled and just, they'll push you right through the news cycle because the vaccine's coming out or da, 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 da. So, you know, learning all those skills is really important to be a rounded executive and, um, and enjoy it a little bit. I don't, there's some parts I don't really enjoy because it's not my personality, but there are parts of it where I really do enjoy it. And the people I meet, even the on-air personalities off camera, they're really nice people.
0: Last question. I got permission to ask this or your publicist said, yeah, I think he is a reader. Do we get to ask what some of your favorite books are?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I do read. Uh, I'm kind of in two areas right now. One is uh, I am starting to work on a trilogy that's a novel based on reality of diverted technology. So hopefully, and that starts in January, February after we do some of this stuff. The other part is on business books. Um, you know, and helping both myself learn from others is really critical. Um, helping the team that I that I work with that's young. We have a book club. We let them read books. They check them out, check them in, do, you know, do book reviews um, because you can never stop learning. I mean, you just can never stop learning. And um, so I, I kind of go back and forth in some of the reading and some of it is off the wall. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you've got to think, you know, I think one of the the things that's helped me is just think differently about how the problem should be solved. And so you need to read from authors that propose different things that suggest the world. It's not that it's not round, but it may be a slightly different round than you think. And um, so from that area, I've been very lucky in terms of doing a lot of different reading. We're reading David Rubenstein's management book today, and and how to be a better leader. Um, I'm reading going back and reading the James Patterson book. On on spy novels and stuff, because clearly that's what I got to see what he does to learn that. But the reading should be fun. It's interesting. Also, I'm reading how to make dessert pizzas, of all things, because that's my next career. You'll find me in Florence making dessert pizzas and uh, being a barista. That's the plan.
0: Well, I just want to say to whoever it was that said you're boring, no, you're not. Tell them (laughs) I disagree with that. Steve, this has been fantastic. World of thanks and just congratulations on the book and continued success with it. It's called The IPO Playbook. Mark, thanks. Really
1: enjoyed the conversation today. Look forward to joining you again on other topics.
0: You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Steve Brett thank you very much for carving out time for us. I'm reminded of what copy blogger Sonia Simone calls people like Steve a likable expert, so much so. Again, his book is The IPO Playbook, and I enjoyed it. And again, you don't need to be a public company CEO, CFO, or board member to enjoy it. We'll call this a wrap next week. I'm thrilled to have Dean Spitzer on the show. He's written what I consider to be the best book ever written, on Performance Measurement. It's called Transforming Performance Measurement. Hey guys, thank you for listening. I'm Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf. CFOs, VBs of Finance, controllers, staff accountants, financial analysts, FPNA professionals, and all other financial leaders. Thank you for listening to CFO Bookshelf.